0: So we've been in a series called True Identity, and we're coming to the end of that series today. And the series of True Identity is saying, you know, looking at this question, who am I? Because in the world that we live in, in the culture that we are part of, this question of who am I is sort of the operative question that people are asking that question and in the midst of their seeking to, uh, to understand that or to answer it, that there's all kinds of answers that people are making up for themselves. And so as followers of Jesus, how do we answer that question? How do we come to understand who am Am I? And when we ask that question, who am I? The response is, I am what? Now, as we come to today, I want to ask another question, though. And and it's this question not just, who am I, but who am I becoming? Who are you? becoming in your life? And it's a really, really important question, because the reality is, is that who you are today is not who you will be tomorrow that tomorrow there is a shift that will be happening to you. Just as like we got to see Robbie's shift in his hair length, right? You know, as we look through the pictures. Or have you ever taken out your phone, particularly like parents or grandparents, and you start flipping through your phone and the pictures, and you see your kid's age or your grandkids age in front of your eyes, and you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) look at that. Or you see yourself shifting and changing. And day to day, we don't see that happening, but the reality is, is that tomorrow, you're going to be different than you are today. And it will be a question of who are you becoming. And, and tomorrow, you will either be progressing from today, or you will be Regressing. Tomorrow, you will be filling up, or you will be drying up. Tomorrow, you will be better, or you will be bitter. So as you think about your life, and you think about this question of who are you becoming, do you know? So what makes the difference? What makes the difference between, you know, drying up and and filling up? What makes the difference between better and and bitter? What makes the difference between moving forward or fading back? Well, the thing that makes the difference is our posture to life. Now, humor me here a little bit, okay? So put put your hand out like this, all right? Okay? And then, and then just close it, you know, your fingers, make a fist, all right? And then turn to the person next to you, all right? <laughs> okay? So there's sort of this nervous r- laughter, right? Because you're like, mm, are you friendly? Because if you turn to somebody like this, this is like, hey, you know, we're going to fight, right? Now, now take, your, take your hand like this in the fist and put it up like this. What's this, the universal sign sign of? Protest, right? It's protest. It's like, I mean, if you see a bunch of people with their fists raised, they're protesting against something or against someone. And if you live like this to God, then you are in rebellion. So that's a posture, and it's a posture of control. And every one of us lives part of our life like this, like this. But there's another posture. So take your hand, humor me, take your hand here, and just open it up, all right? So there's sort of two ways. You can, you know, you can put a little energy into it, and you can open it up all flat, but just sort of relax your hands. And what, is, what does it make? Your hand, if you just sort of relax your hand, it actually sort of makes a bowl, doesn't it? So if you live in this as a relaxed posture, this is a posture of surrender. And when we live this way, that we are able to receive, to to come into this bowl, and and we, we, we cup it and we hold it, but also we're able to give. When we live a posture of surrender, then we are able to receive from God, we are able to give to God, we are able to receive from other people, we are able to to give to others. Control or surrender. The posture that you live determines the person that you are becoming. Your posture of control or surrender to the Spirit of God shapes your becoming. Your posture of control or surrender to the Word of God determines your future. Your posture of control or surrender to the people of God, to your community of faith, will determine what your tomorrow is like. This morning, as we have done in the past weeks, as we think about this kind of life and who we are becoming, this answer this question, who am I? We're we're looking at another person. We're looking at another character of the Bible to learn from them. And in Judges chapter 4 is the story of one of the judges of Israel, a woman by the name of, of Deborah. And so I want to read to you about the first nine verses of, of Judges chapter 4. And so it won't be up here on the screen, so if you have your Bible, you can follow along or uh, listen to me. Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And just sort of a, a context, the book of Judges is about the people that God raised up to be, have leadership Um, influence over the people of Israel and there were good judges and there were bad judges which means there were good times and there were bad times in the nation of Israel because the good judge brought the blessings of God and the bad judge brought the judgment of God on the people of Israel and it was this cycle that went back and forth Deborah is one of the good judges Judges chapter 4 verses 1 through 9 and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold him into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hegeim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for twenty years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman." Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And so as we look at the story, one of the things that we see is is that the nation of Israel was in a hard spot. That they'd been oppressed an oppressed people by a particular ruler who the military commander was this guy by the name of Sisera. And for 20 years, and he was cruel. That, that things were out of control, that, they, that the power that was over them seemed to be completely without any answer to. Has, has anybody ever been in that sort of spot in your life? I mean, you look at your life and the things that are against you are way beyond your ability to be able to handle or think that you can overcome. And you're like, man, we just have to give up. I mean, Within this story, it talks about Sisera having 900 chariots. Um, so, the, the equivalent for today would be is the, a chariot would be a tank, right? It was the preeminent, um, you know, weapon of war. Because the chariot, I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're on foot and you're carrying a sword and somebody's coming at you with a chariot, then that's a bit intimidating. And 900 of them, that's a lot. And so they were just this extraordinarily overwhelming power over the people of Israel. They were in a hard spot. And when the people were in the hard spot, what did they do is they cried out, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, verse three. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Have you ever cried out to the Lord for help? Been in that spot and it's like, God, I, you know, I, I, I don't see a way out. I don't see how, I don't see how we can respond to this. I don't see how I can overcome. This is too big for me. That's the situation that the people of Israel found themselves in. So when we are in that overwhelming place, when we are in that place of desperate need for help, who do we turn to? We turn to the wise. And this is where Deborah comes into the picture. Because God has raised Deborah up to be this wise leader. And, and here's something just sort of point out. Here's something for you to think about. Have you ever noticed that when you cry out to God for help, that he sends a person? When you cry out for God to God for help, he sends a person that God shows up in us and through us in order to show his glory and his power in the world. It's one of the craziest things ever, isn't it? But that's how God works. And that's how God worked in this story. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So Deborah... Deborah is called a prophetess here, and there were five women within the Old Testament who had that title. There was Miriam in Exodus 15:20, who was called a prophetess, and there was Huldah in Second Kings 22. Isaiah's, Isaiah's wife um, in Isaiah 8:3 is called a prophetess, and also Noadiah, who is a false prophetess in Nehemiah chapter six. And so this this being this prophetess, being this judge, she was a civil leader. She had the responsibility of leading the nation of Israel in this time, in this season. And she was a judge who decided cases. And so people would come to the tree named after her, right? That was the place of meeting. That was the courtroom where she would come. And in her wisdom of the Spirit of God, in her and through her, would bring justice and truth to people's lives. She was a wise person. She was a leader. She was a real true, in the truest sense, an influencer in her culture. And you know, the interesting thing about Deborah, and and it's sort of pointed out here, is, is that Deborah was a wife. And it's almost guaranteed as well that she was a mother, a wife and a mother, sort of ordinary life. She was the judge, extraordinary. She was a prophetess, a bit extraordinary. And that's our lives, is that there's the ordinary and the extraordinary that God brings in together in order to bring about His purposes. An ordinary woman in an ordinary, challenging time, that the extraordinary God blesses and raises up to be a leader. And the other thing when you look at this story is, is, that, is that Deborah knew who she was. She was this prophetess. She was the judge. But she wasn't the war leader. She called Barak. She says, "Beric, come. Hasn't God called you to lead in battle? She knew that that was not her role. And so she called on the person who was their role. And Beric says, yes, but I'm not going to go without you. Now, the story of Judges chapter 4 and, and the conclusion in it in, in chapter 5 is, is that they go up to battle against the Sisera and these 900 chariots, and they end up being victorious. And Sisera, you know, his chariot breaks down, um, gets flat tire or something like that, right? You know, and he ends up running, and he ends up running, and he's invited into this tent by this woman, jail. And Jael says, you know, why don't you lay down and rest? Covers him up and then proceeds to um, put a tent peg through his head. I mean, and that's the story where Deborah says, you are not, Barak, you're not going to get the glory for this. There's a woman who's going to win this battle, ultimately. So this, this fearsome leader that everybody for 20 years brutalized a nation and God delivered him into their hand. And in chapter 5 is Barak and, uh, and Deborah singing a song together about the victory that God has brought and the good things and the great things that God has brought. Anytime we are in desperate times, anytime we are in times of uncertainty, anytime we are in times of challenge, what we need is this. We need women of God and men of God who love God, who will step up. We need women of God and men of God who love God, who will step up, who know who they are and know who they are not, and who are deeply connected to the Spirit of God so that they are led properly, to the Word of God that they have uncommon wisdom, and to the people of God because God's kingdom is about people—you, me, your neighbor, your daughters, your sons, your grandsons, your granddaughters—it's about people. In Judges five thirty-one, it says, "So may all your enemies—this is the end of the story. This is Deborah. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might." In the very last sentence of this part of the story of the book of Judges, and the land had rest for 40 years. You see, when the women of God and the men of God step up and love God and step into the battle, then the result is, is God brings his Peace. So let's go back to this question of who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Now, here's the reality in this answer, part of the answer to this question is, is that you are becoming what you love most. You are becoming what you love most in your life. I do a, a devotional on the Bible app with a group of guys, and um, we go through different uh, Bible app devotions together. And, and we're doing this one now by Timothy Keller. Um, it's an excerpt from his book, Making Sense of God, An Invitation to the Skeptical. And Timothy Keller, um, it, he, he goes back all the way, and he's, he's looking at this question of who are we becoming and what shapes that. And he goes back all the way to Augustine, and here's what he writes He says, Augustine taught that we are most fundamentally shaped not as much by what we believe or think or even do, by what we love. And then he quotes Augustine, For when we ask whether somebody is a good person, we are not asking what he believes or hopes for, but what he loves. Keller continues, he says, For Augustine, what we call human virtues are nothing more than forms of love. Courage is loving your neighbor's well-being more than your own safety. So the question for you is, what are you becoming? What do you you love most? And if you don't know, here's, here's a suggestion for you. Ask somebody who knows you well. Ask somebody who lives with you. I once, I once, just once did this with my kids. It was too painful. I haven't done it again. I should probably do it again, just, you know, to be, have, not be a hypocrite standing up here and talking to you about this. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's revealing. If you want to know what it is that you are loving most, ask somebody who is closest to you and they will, they will give you some insight. They will give you some clues to that because what you are loving most is what is shaping who you are becoming. But there's also a really important question for us, Cold Springs Church, and this is this. Who are we becoming? Who are we becoming as a, as a community of faith, as a people called to be his people gathered together in a community, in a world, in this season, in this time? Who are we becoming? In the words of Augustine, or operative for us as well, is that we are becoming what we love most. And maybe we, we, we love most. It's like, oh, I, I love my small group. I love my group of people that, that know me and I know it. That's what I love most. And so we turn on the, on the inside. I love a form of worship. And so we, we, we put that and we raise it just a little bit higher, and then it becomes an idol that we worship. I, I love, I love, what is it that we love? Because what we love most is what we are becoming. Do we love the one more that God has put into our life that needs to know the hope of Jesus? See, here at Cold Spring Church, we're simple. We don't talk about who are the five people, who are the ten people you're praying for. It's like, who's the one person? Who's the one person that God has put into your life? Do you love that person? Because if you love that person, then that will shape who you are becoming and who we are becoming. And and as Keller continues and writing in this he he talks about the the key is is that we are have the right order of love because you might be thinking you know what I love I love my vocation I love my job is it is it a sin to love your vocation love your job absolutely not but if you love your vocation your job more than you love your wife or your husband or your kids then you have a disordered love you don't have the right thing in the right order, and it will cause chaos in your life. If we is 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 it is it okay to have wealth? Is it okay to have resources? Is it okay to have things? Yes, it is okay to have things. But if we love those, the pursuit of those of money and of possessions more than we love. God, then it will bring chaos. Jesus had something to say about that. It will bring chaos. Another sort of question in this is, and who, who are we becoming is, is that what are we for? Are we a, a, a people that are for, or are we a people who are against? You know you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, if 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 you talk to somebody who isn't, you know, a part of the Christian faith, part of the Christian family and say, "Hey, what are Christians about?" Almost almost guaranteed what you're going to hear is, is you're going to hear a list of the things that Christians are against. What they are against. Uh, a, a number of years ago, there's a team, a part of our team went to a conference and. And they were introduced to this concept of of being for in your community and really highlighting the things that you were for. And so they brought that back. and And some of you might remember that hashtag for El for El Dorado County. And so we really focused in within that season of we were going to be for our fellow churches and we were going to highlight different churches in our community. We were going to be for businesses in our community, we seem to really like restaurants, right? I don't know if you remember. It's like, hey, go to this restaurant, go to that restaurant, go to this restaurant. Um, We were for, you know, schools, and so we were highlighting and saying, hey, pray for this school. You know, be a part of this business. Pray for this church, this community of faith. We are for our community. We are for Eldoco, for Eldorado County. You see, whether we're for or against, it matters. See, because for or against determines whether we're going to be light or darkness. Against will make you angry and bitter. Did you know that? If you live a life that is against, you will become an angry, bitter person. If you are for, it will move you to love and compassion. Now, here's a bit of the tension, right? Because... Have you noticed that there are a few things in this world that it's, it's like, i I got to be against that? I mean, because that's bad. That's evil. I mean, there's, there, there are plenty of things that, that are not good, that are not aligned with God and his word and his will and, and his best. And so what do you do with that? Well, what you do with that is that if you live a life for, you can be against with love. If you live a life for God and his truth and his goodness and his mercy and his love and his presence and his kingdom, if you live a life for, you can be against, but it will be in love. But if you live a life against, you will not be able to be motivated by love and compassion. Because your heart will turn hard are you a person who lives for or against are we a church that lives for our community or against one of the pictures that you saw um, there towards the end of that that um video was the staff team on a deck and uh you know robbie was holding a football and so the, by the way the football that was daniel daniel wasn't there but he was there he was the football so um, if you don't understand that, what you need to do is go back a couple of weeks to Daniel's last message, um, which is a really great message. He did a fantastic job, and you'll understand why Daniel is represented as a football. It's not because he looks like a football or is the size of a football by far, but it's worth going back. I'm just going to leave it there. Okay, so Daniel was there as a football, and the staff team, were, and we. so it was 36 hours that we were together seeking the face of God together, seeking the voice of God together, of God, what is it that you have for us? Who are we becoming? And I want to I sort of go small, and then I'm going to go a little bit bigger. And the small is this, is that we are, Cold Springs Churches, restored, strengthened, transformed, by grace with love through Jesus Springs church we are restored strengthened transformed by grace with love through Jesus and as we were saying okay what does that look like it looks like this is that we will live with boldness and confidence and love as followers of Jesus wherever we are. So the kingdom of God isn't right here in this room. The kingdom of God is wherever God is placing us, wherever we are. And we're going to live with boldness, confidence, and love as followers of Jesus there, sharing the hope of Jesus Christ in words and actions and creating a safe, grace-filled community of transformation. That's that's who we are. That's who we are becoming. And that we're doing that, we're engaging in intentional, meaningful, spiritual conversations that grow and show a bold and confident faith. See, because we really believe here at Cold Spring Church about us as individuals, not, not the big, giant... Group, but it's you as an individual and you having that intentional, meaningful, spiritual conversation because we know in those types of conversations that is where we experience God most intimately and we grow most deeply. That's where our life groups come in. That's where our 3G faith comes in. All these things we talk about is, is that we can have these intentional, meaningful, spiritual conversations. In 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter writes... And, and just sort of as I'm reading this, think about this. It, Peter was written in a time and in a context that's not too far off of where we are ending up in the world, where, where faith, where Christianity oftentimes is seen as a negative and there can be a, a push against it rather than a welcome reception of it. And Peter writes this. He says in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Wow. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that great? We are, we are, we are gods. And we get to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. And then in verse, um, chapter 3, verse 15 of 1 Peter, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You see, the fruit that we work and that we pray for are restored, strengthened, and transformed lives. And the context that we focus on here are families. And some of you are thinking, families, you know, well, you know, I don't have kids, or my kids are gone, or I'm old, or I'm young, or whatever. And you're thinking this, you're thinking too limited. We're thinking, when we talk about families, we talk about every part to build a healthy whole. Young to old, and everything in between. We are restored, strengthened, transformed. By grace, with love. Through Jesus. But we have to step into that. We have to step in. We have a choice of whether we're going to step into that. And if we go back to the the example of Deborah, of Deborah stepping into that, of just as God prepared Deborah for her time, that he has prepared you, he's prepared us for our time, that we live in this time is not a mistake by God that we are called to step up and to step in into our time. And, you know, if you think about Deborah, it's like we have this little snapshot, right, of Deborah's life. But, but everything before this snapshot of Deborah's life, God used as a young woman, as a wife, as a mother, to prepare her to be the judge, to be the prophetess that she was, to step up and to be the leader and the person of influence she was in her world. Because God had prepared her beforehand for the good works that he had designed for her, just like he has prepared you and I for the good the good works that he's designed for us. That's Ephesians. Paul reminds us. So will you step into it? Will you believe that You are important. That there is no retirement plan in the kingdom of God. Some of you are thinking, you know, I'm sort of old. I can't do anything. I can't move that fast. I can't do this. I can't do that. There's no retirement plan in the kingdom of God, sorry. There, There is a purpose and there is a reason. There is a opportunity for you. You're thinking, oh, I'm too young. I don't know enough. I haven't read the Bible enough. I haven't, 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 haven't. There is a plan. There is a purpose. There is a ministry that God has for you. Who are you? Who am I? The ultimate answer to that is, is that I am the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. When we get that, when we understand that, that shapes everything else about the answer to that question. But we, if we don't get that right, if we don't get the very foundation that you are the beloved of God, that I am the beloved of God, we won't be able to see the fullness of the answer. And how we embrace that, how we experience that, is through loving Jesus most. Remember, we are becoming what we love most. And Scripture makes it clear is that our invitation is that we would love Jesus above all things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. We find our I am through the great I am. You will find your I am through Jesus, through the great I am, if you set your heart on loving him most. So as we have done in, the, in our other messages, here's some questions for you to consider. Um, and again, these are online. This on the Bible app. You can always find the outline for our messages there. You can find them online. But the questions are considered this. Who has had the greatest influence on your identity, good or bad? Because we've had both of those, right? (laughs) Good or bad. And it's usually the bad voice that is the loudest. And we need to shift to the good voice. When you reflect on your life, how has what you loved shaped who you are? Think about that right now. How has what you have loved shaped who you are? And what are the obstacles to you loving Jesus most in your life? What is it that's getting in the way? And here's what I can guarantee you is is that the the obstacle that is getting most in the way of you loving Jesus most is something that you are afraid of. Because when we are in fear, this is how we live. (laughs) Control. And when we love Jesus most, he allows us, he gives us the power to loosen that grip, to open up, so that we can receive and give, but that is vulnerability and that's trust. And then finally, the fourth question is, who is your community that will help shape your future through love? Because God has called you to a community. It's not an individual journey. It's not something you're doing on your own. It's not some you know, mythic you know personal quest. Yes, you have to do your work, but you, we do it together in relationship with each other? Who's your community? Are you committed to that community? To paying the price of being connected to community? And you know, if we, if, if, if we have the courage to sort of step, like Deborah stepped into that moment in time, if we have the courage to step forward in our moment of time at Cold Spring Church, oh, what, could, what can God do? What can God do? Can you think of somebody that that needs to be transformed? Can you think of a family or marriage that needs the grace and the love of of Jesus? Can you think somebody who's afraid, who needs a safe community that they can step into and and be messy and discover the goodness of God? That's that's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why God raised Cold Springs Church up to be those people, free to be who we are, but being transformed into all God created us to be. We're all on that journey. Let's welcome as many people as we can to be a part of it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your goodness. Thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that the only way that we love is because you loved us first. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in that love, to experience, to see that love, to have the courage to receive it so that we can be it in the world. Lord, in times and places, just like you chose Deborah in a time and a place to bring your glory and to bring your kingdom, throughout history, you've chosen people, you've chosen individuals. And Lord, I pray that you would choose us. I pray that you would choose Cold Springs Church, not because we are so great, because we are so good, because we have it so together, but because you are God. And we know that we live in a time and a community where your light and your hope are needed. So Jesus, choose us to bring your glory. Choose us to bring your kingdom. Choose us to bring your grace and your love. Choose us, Jesus, to reveal you, Jesus. To our world. Thank you that we even have the opportunity to to pray that prayer. And Lord, we we live and surrender with that open hand to receive and to give all that you can give to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. All God, people said, Amen. Let's stand and let's close in worship, all right?